We are going to, this morning, continue a, a conversation we've been in for a couple of weeks. We're in a series that we're calling Summer Walk. And uh, in this series, we're really asking the very simple question, what does it look like for us to learn to walk by the Holy Spirit. And uh, this conversation started in the series before this one. In the series before uh, the Summer Walk series, we're talking about this idea of freedom in Christ. And we were reveling in the reality that through the cross and through the empty grave, Jesus Christ has removed any and every obstacle that could possibly keep any of us from living fully in all that God has designed and desired us to live that in Christ there is freedom. And one of the key things we learned in that series was, but if we're going to learn to walk in and live in that freedom and in that fullness, it's going to come as we learn the art of walking by the Spirit. It's not going to come by trying harder. It's not going to come by reaching deep down inside and somehow conjuring up an inner strength. It's not going to come because we followed a bunch of rules. It's going to come because we learned to keep in step with we learned to walk by the Spirit, which stirred the question, well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Because we would love to enjoy a lot more of His freedom, and, and we, we would love to, to, to experience a lot more of His victory in our areas of sin and in our areas of struggle, the things keeping us back, back from moving um, freely. So what does it look like to, to walk by the Spirit? And that started this conversation. And uh, like we've said for the last uh, couple of weeks, weeks, um, this idea of walking by the Spirit is not ultimately super sophisticated. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we tend to think it's about these major moments in our lives, but we're finding out, no, it's really about the daily disciplines. It's really about the things we do on a regular basis. It's really about simple steps, not gigantic leaps, and it's in those simple daily steps that we find ourselves starting to, to, to form a rhythm that is called walking by the Spirit. And yet we discover there is nothing unusually impressive about the process of learning to do that. It's like the eat your vegetables of following Jesus. And so two weeks ago, we talked about reading the Word of God, engaging the Word of God. If we're going to learn to walk by the Spirit, that's not going to come if we are not spending time in His Word, that glorious designated meeting place where the Holy Spirit comes, shows up, and He brings to life the truths of who God is. And he helps us navigate into the truths, point us to the person of Jesus, and lead us in those truths. We are not going to find ourselves walking with the Spirit if we're not taking steps in his word. And last week, we started a conversation about prayer. And uh, in that conversation, we talked about the how-to of prayer as we looked at a pattern that Jesus gave us in what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. He told us, this is how you should pray when you pray. And uh, this morning, we want to continue that conversation and really just take it a step further and, and ask the question, okay, but how do we do more than just pray? How do we become a people of prayer? How do we become a people whose lives are marked by the practice of prayer. And uh, so this morning is going to be a really super practical conversation about what it looks like to implement into our daily lives uh, steps that will lead us to walking, that will create a pattern by which we find ourselves people of prayer. And we cannot hope to walk by the Spirit and not be a people of prayer. So we're going to have a really practical conversation. It's summertime, by the way. It's a great time to get in shape for winter uh, by doing some really simple and practical things. And so this talk, I trust, is something that um, as we man, think practically, we'll find ourselves getting into a rhythm that will continue um, for years and years to come, both in the beautiful and in the bleak moments um, of our lives. We'll find ourselves praying 
and in so doing, walking by the Spirit. Um, we are, are going to be looking at a number of different passages of Scripture, and um, those will be up on the screen. Uh, if you don't own a physical copy of the Bible, we cannot say enough. We would love to get one into your hands. Uh, my son was telling me a little bit ago about a conversation he had with one of his uh, student ministry leaders just about the, the Word of God, the, the art of reading his Word in these pages. Um, and they were having a conversation with us, like, that's actually a great point. Like, uh, you know, there's so many different um, opportunities technologically for us to download and read online. Um, but there is something. I mean, he said, yeah, but we we're talking about how sometimes if you're reading it on your phone and then a text message comes through or an alert comes through and then you get distracted and you move in a different direction. Whereas when you're reading this book, it has no Wi-Fi connection as far as I know. And there's something about it, if nothing else, that allows you to just sit in these pages and absorb them as the Spirit shows up, meets us, and brings them to life. If you don't own a copy, this is the Word of God, and we would love to get one into your hands. Head to the Connection Corner again after the service, and um, we'll get one to you. But this morning, we just want to talk practically about what it looks like to become um, a people of prayer. Um, uh, number one, uh, being a people of prayer means learning to pray primarily. Learning to pray primarily. Um, I am a self-diagnosed problem solver. I don't know about you. Um, I like to be self-sufficient and to, to figure things out. It's probably, you know, truth be told, part of my control freak nature where I don't want to have to need or depend on anybody um, if I'm honest. So when something heavy um, happens, my instinctive, immediate response is to turn inward and start to figure out how to fix it or how to cope with it because I'm a problem solver. A few days ago, a coworker was telling me of a, a pretty hard situation, and the minute uh, that conversation was over, my immediate response, in fact, my response in that conversation was, number one, no way. And then number two was, okay, what can we do to try and mitigate and what can we do to try and remedy this situation because I'm a fixer. I am by nature a problem solver. Um, to which the authors of Scripture would gladly interrupt me and scream, no, condo, pray first, then problem solve. First pray, then make your attempts to fix it. There's nothing wrong with being a problem solver, uh, of course, but if you want to be a person of prayer who walks by the Spirit, then problem solve cannot be my primary go-to. That cannot be my primary response. This is what James is talking about in James chapter 5, um, starting at verse number 13. But this is what James says. Um, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Well, let them sing songs of praise, which is just prayer turned to song. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let them pray. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And man, I have, I have so much growing to do in this area um, because I have so many problem-solving options and ideas and apps and abilities and connections and resources. So when something heavy or something happy or something health-related happens in my world, that tends to be my instinctive go-to. How can we implore these different resources and start to problem solve. And James is saying, no, the pattern of a person of prayer is one that begins 
by doing just that, by praying. Did something heavy hit your world? He says, pray. Did something happy invade your world? Pray. Did something health-related hit your world? Pray. First and foremost, pray. Before you start to think about employing your different resources, he would say, um, pray. And I love James. He's such a practical thinker, and he gives us these really practical um, measures, these practical litmus tests to gauge um, how primary prayer is in our lives. What is your typical first response when you're hurt by someone or you're hurt by something? Something heavy enters your world. What's your go-to? And this literally, church, gives us an opportunity to stop and say, what is my response? Is prayer primary in my life when something heavy hits? Or is my go-to food? Is, is my go-to to attack the person who hurt me? Is my go-to to turn inward in self-pity and to start to feel badly for myself? Is, is my go-to to get online, to get on one of my social media outlets and to dish um, or to vent on the situation? Is it to send a text? Is my go-to to complain? But when heaviness or hurt hits your life, it is a great opportunity to see what is my response? And is prayer really primary in my world? But it's also true when something happy happens in your world. Your kid makes the grade or, or you know, finally um, stops, you know, bedwetting or, or something like this. What's your response? You finally got the promotion or you, you finally hit your weight goal. Whatever the case is, what's your instinctive go-to? What's your instinctive response? Is it a, like a fist pump? Is it, again, a Facebook post? Do you run to Instagram to let the world know is that where you go first? Is that what you think? Or is there a response that says, I'm going to praise God in prayer because it's Him who ultimately helped bring this about? When sickness hits your family, what's your instinct? James says uh, our major life events are a great opportunity for us to get a sense of how primary prayer is. And I'll just invite you. I know it's been difficult for me to, to process this and realize like prayer is not as primary in reality as I would like to state in theory when heavy things happen or, or when, you know, um, I'm happy or when something goes wrong with health. And James is saying, no, people of prayer learn to make prayer primary in life's major events. Can I just say, this is not natural to us. So if this is not something you do instinctively, it's because it's not instinctive to us. It's not natural to us. We are going to need to actually take steps to move in this direction by His grace. And I would encourage you, one simple way to start this is to just surround yourself or to put reminders about this in key strategic places in your life. Whether it's like, you know what, I'm going to go to Mudlove and have a first pray bracelet made. So that there's this constant reminder for this to become my go-to. Maybe it's about putting a, a post-it note on your, your mirror. You know, the one that you spend substantial amount of time with, you know, in the morning when you wake up. And so you see this on a regular basis. Hey, first pray. Maybe it's putting, you know, a little note dangling somewhere from your rearview mirror as you drive. Maybe it's when you get to your office, you have something on your desk that reminds you first pray. Maybe it's something on your iPad or on your iPhone's wallpaper, that's just a reminder. First, pray and think about how many times you'd be reminded by virtue of our natural relationships to our devices. I love between services, a guy came and he showed me his iPad and it had this first pray thing put on there already because we're going to need to constantly be reminded that before I run to all of these other things I depend to, I want to learn what it looks like to turn the conversation to my father in prayer. We're going to need to pray 
primarily. If we're going to become people of prayer, we're going to need to learn what it means to pray consistently, to pray consistently. I, I go to the gym, um, I would say maybe two at the most three times a year. And um, hey, listen, I'm not going to judge you if you do that, so don't judge me. Thank you very much. Um, and it's fine if we want to go to the gym like two times a year. That is perfectly fine. Except I also want to be super buff and inspire an irresistible handsiness on the part of my wife, right? So I, I want both of these things to be true in my life. You cannot judge me for how often I go to the gym. That's not cool. However, you can judge me for the results I hope to gain. That is perfectly fair um, for you to say. You can, if you love me, tell me, Condor, you cannot go to the gym twice a year and hope to look like Joel Poppenfuss. That is not how it works. Mainly because Joel Poppenfuss is white, if you don't know him, and the gym is not for, no, I'm kidding. But I think that's what we often do with, um, with prayer, if we're honest. We pray every now and then, but we hope to be people who the Holy Spirit can't resist but anoint and can't resist but lead towards everything that God has for us. And yet that is not how it works because the power of prayer lies in the pattern of prayer. Just like the power of the gym lies in the pattern of consistently showing up to the gym, unlike me. And when you get there actually using the equipment, not like I did two things between water breaks um, for 15 minutes and I was out. But it is, it's about showing up consistently. And we saw this last week um, in Jesus' life that he prayed consistently. Uh, look at a, a couple of different um, verses. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Okay, so Jesus prayed like once a year, twice a year, every now and then. No, Luke tells us in chapter 5, verse 16, that but Jesus often, consistently, not every now and then, but on a regular basis, withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. So he did it often. How often, I wonder. I think Luke gives us a pretty good idea as he recounts Jesus' pattern for prayer. As Jesus tells his followers, hey, pray this way. In essence, this is how I pray. And it says in Luke 11, verse 2, Give us, Heavenly Father, give us each day our daily bread. Which at least hints at the fact that Jesus prayed every day. Because this prayer is saying, give us what we need to live fully for you today. Give us what we need today because we'll be back tomorrow to ask you again. You get the very distinct sense that Jesus prayed on a daily basis. And I believe that should be the pattern of consistency we aspire to. It doesn't mean we will always reach it, we will always achieve it, but this should be the thing we aspire to. A consistency of prayer that does so on a daily basis. And if we're going to do that, because again, this is not natural to us, but if we're going to do that we need to plan to pray. We need to plan to pray. Um, if we don't plan to pray, we will go with a natural course of our lives. And we will miss it. And it's hard to, to miss uh, that Jesus' consistency in prayer included a designated time to pray. And it included an uninterrupted place to pray, right? It tells us early in the morning. That was his designated time, and he's accused of doing this in a number of different places. Early in the morning, sneaking off, 
And I wonder if that's not to, to start his day by availing himself to his father and saying, give me what I need for today because I want to live fully for you. Would you give me what I need before this day even launches? And I also wonder if this early in the morning thing isn't Jesus' way of beating the chaos before people wake up and start asking him for this, that, and the other. He sneaks off to pray. And it says he did this in a solitary place so that he could have uninterrupted face-to-face, so to speak, conversation time with his Father. If we want to become people of prayer, we've got to plan to pray. If we don't plan to pray, and I know this as my experience, that if we don't plan to pray years later, we'll be talking about how we wish that we had a spiritual six-pack but we didn't consistently show up in the places where that is shaped. We will find ourselves talking about how we wished we heard from the Spirit, and we wished we were walking in sync with the Spirit, but we didn't show up to those designated places in those designated times where we are cultivating this conversation and relationship and the ability to hear His voice, but we will wish for the results. And I'm not going to judge you for how much you pray, but I might judge you for how much you long to see yourself walking by the Spirit and yet not planning to be in the... My problem is that I don't plan to go to the gym. I think wanting to be in shape is enough. And then I'm really frustrated by that. And I wonder if many of us haven't gotten to these places where we long to be at different heights with the Lord and different places with the Spirit, but we've not made the plan that takes us to the designated place where we learn the paths that take us to those heights. And where we learn to interact with him in prayer. Man, we're learning this in our, our marriage. Oh, man. I remember um, naive days of the past. Maybe it's naive days or it's pre-parenting days. I don't know. But when, you know, my wife and I would say things like, yeah, let's, let's we'll talk about that later, you know because that's what we do at, at our house. But, you know, we would have these conversations about, yeah, yeah, let's, let's chat about that sometime. And then it would be like six months later, when we were wondering, what was that thing that we were going to talk about that one time? And we forgot. I don't know. I think it was about picking up one of our kids from school. I don't know, you know. But we did. I mean, it was very much like there's things which we would say a lot, like, hey, let's, let's just let's talk about that sometime. Um, and on top of that, there's almost this sense that I've had in the past, like, you know, because if we really loved each other, then you know what? We would just talk organically, and we would just, we would find ourselves, you know, in, uh, you know, we would be sitting, and magically our eyes would meet across the room of screaming children, and we would thus connect in this organic, romantic way. And that was the thought. <laughs> now I just hysterically laugh at, at that idea because that's not the way it works. Like, no, we, we have to plan hand-holding because there are constantly these little sweaty palms that are reaching for, can I have this, and can I have that, and can I have the other, and life is just crazy. And we've discovered if we don't plan very specific date, days, and time to talk about the things that we want to make sure we don't miss and to ensure that we're connecting with each other, it just won't happen. And months will go by and we'll say, I feel like we're ships in the night. Because it turns out the most romantic thing is actually to plan time to connect and to process through things. Because it, it, as it turns out, planning is priority's favorite proof. I mean, you say I'm a priority, then prove it by planning space in the chaos for us to connect and a sexy man shall I consider thee. It is. It's a very necessary thing if there's a hope to connect in meaningful ways. Plan to pray. Prayer planning proves the priority of prayer in my life. It's not just that I hope that me and the Lord, our eyes will just catch across from a crazy work day and a crazy work week, and we have to do school shopping, and school's about to get crazy, and our kids are making noise, but just magically, miraculously, me and the Lord will find each other and we'll connect. Nope. 
If it's a priority, you're going to plan out the chaos, and you're going to plan out the noise, and you're going to create this oasis in the middle of your chaotic calendar and say, this time is for us. Plan to pray. If you cannot say when you plan to meet with God, you will not pray consistently. And so for, for different ones of us, it means different things. For Jesus, it meant leaving the house. I'm like, why leave the house? Go to a quiet room. That's not how they built houses back then. There were a lot of people just sleeping in the same general area. So Jesus left the house, and he picked a spot. And for some of us, it may be just, man, I want to wake up, and there's a room that I can shut before the chaos hits and before the cornflake starts to fly where I can spend time with him in the morning. Some of you may say, no, that's too crazy for me. I'm going to go, um, you know, one of the things I do is I will sometimes do it in my office. Um, And for some of you, it's like, yeah, I'm going to get to the office a little bit before whatever else happens, um, and I'm going to set up a time, and that's going to be the time that I spend with the Lord. And for some of us, it's like, no, I'm going to go into the trails, and I'm just going to walk, because I know it's going to be pretty quiet, except for people maybe walking their dogs every now and then, it's going to be pretty quiet, and I can dedicate that time and that space. But it starts with a plan, a plan of when and a plan of where. Just was true with reading the Word of God. What does that look like for you? Pick a smart time, pick a smart place, put it in your calendar, and set a reminder. Again, reminder is not a diss. If I loved God, I would just organically pray. No, reminder is just telling me I know life is going to get crazy, and I do not want to miss this time. Pray consistently by planning to pray. And then pray constantly. Pray constantly. If we're going to be people of prayer who walk with the Spirit, we're going to need to pray constantly. Wait, didn't you just say that? Nope. I said consistently, different spelling. Um, But no, consistently is really the idea of um, planning a time to pray. Um, Praying constantly is really the idea of praying the rest of the time as well. And the Bible teaches this. There are two incredible times to pray. A, when you plan to, and B, when you don't. Both are fantastic times to pray. And you see that patterned by the men and women of Scripture. Talk to God in the times you plan to, that dedicated time, but also talk to God in the times you don't, that organic time. And that obviously makes sense, especially when I remember that prayer isn't so much about lists as much as it is about engaging my Father in relationship. It's really about this face-to-face conversation with my heavenly dad. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, how weird would it be um, if, you know, I crossed paths with my wife, you know, in the kitchen and I said, hey, what's up? And she looked at me and did like this, which she does all the time. Uh, she, she's never done that one time. Um, But I'm like, what's up? She's like, um, why are you talking to me? It's not talking time. Talking time is at 6.43 p.m. on Thursday. That's when we talk. What's up? What do you mean, what's up? I mean, imagine that. If, If she said to me, hey, good morning, and I'm like, why are you talking to me? This is not our talking time. Date day is Monday. And so that's when we're going to talk about things. Please don't interact with me. This is not planned. And yet, as weird as that would be in our relationship, I think that's how many of us relate to God. Like, I'm sorry, God. You have two times, dinner time and devotion time. The rest of the time is dead silence. And we etch God out of the rest of our time 
because there are spaces and times that are designated for God. But no, the way it works in our relationship is, of course, there are things we want to make sure we don't miss. There's connection we want to make sure always and constantly and consistently happens. But then there is also just we ran into each other in the kitchen, and we had a quick conversation about this, and we interacted with each other about this. And she called me and said, hey, can you take a call? Here's what's going on. And there's this constant conversation, both when we plan to and when we don't. And some of us are just weird with God. I'm sorry, this isn't praying time. That's this morning. That time has already happened. We're going to need to wait for the next situation, the next moment. And I wonder if that's not what Paul means in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, verse 16. But this is what it says. It says, rejoice always. And then it says this, pray constantly. Pray constantly continually. There are other versions that say pray without ceasing and give thanks to God in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for your life is that you would talk to Him constantly. God's will for your life is that you would constantly have conversation with Him. Your dad wants you to talk to Him all the time. And, um, I, you know, I, um, I would recommend, because again, this isn't necessarily natural to us. And I'm going to learn this. The reason these are often called disciplines is because they're not natural. This is not necessarily instinctive to us. But I'd recommend a simple way to start a, a, a lifestyle and a pattern of praying constantly is to start where you tend to worry or where you tend to whine. So when you find yourself starting to talk about something that's stirring worry in you, or you find yourself starting to talk about something and the tone is very much one of complaint, how about making those prayers, turning those into prayers? Instead of letting thoughts linger and become obsessive worry or letting conversations trail off into complaining about the next thing, what about if you prayed your worries and you prayed your whines? You'd be surprised, by the, by the way, how constantly you would be praying. Oh, you'd be praying more than you would imagine. This is something I'm trying an experiment in, and I want to invite you to join me in considering what might it look like for us to start there. When thoughts start to enter and I start to worry, or I start to find myself saying things or feeling whiny about things, I'm going to turn those into into prayers. I'm so nervous about this meeting. I don't feel ready for it, Father. I just wanted to share that. And by the way, the beauty of this, which I trust that we'll learn as we enter into this pattern is, and you don't have to say, um, thou heavenly Father, every time, or sign off in Jesus' name, amen. You can literally just have a sentence conversation with him and say, I am freaking out about this meeting. I don't feel ready for it. That's it. Ah, this outfit looks so much more in point in the mirror at home. I do not want to be made fun of for my outfit at school on the first week. I'm freaking out, Dad. I'm freaking out. That's it. That's it. I hope that I make friends as I start school this year, because last year was really rough. I am so nervous. I'm so nervous that I, I, I barely can, can bring myself to take a step into this door. I am so nervous. What about just telling him that? Because you can think it and you can obsess about it. What about if you turned those things into prayer? Lord, these kids are getting on my last nerve. You say they're a blessing from you. You want them back? <laughs> Amen. Right? I mean, all of a sudden, instead of whining about it, I'm like, okay, I don't understand. I'm not feeling the blessing right now, Lord. I'm just saying that. And it becomes this really quick statement that I've turned into a prayer. 
Lord, do these people really not know the difference between a roundabout and a four-way stop? No, they don't. No, they, they really don't. Help them. Help them, Father. They are so lost without you. Um, oh, another train, Lord. Another train, right? I mean, and it's amazing. And what you start to discover is God is literally your dad. And you will discover he is there in every space of your life, not just the designated solitary spaces. And you will start to discover he cares about every aspect of your life, from the oatmeal you ate to, 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 to the outfit that you're wearing, to the major meeting that you had, to this fallout you're experiencing with your kids, to the tension you're having with coworkers, and you find he's there in it all. And as you think things and you start to communicate them, you discover, oh, he's been waiting to interact with that because that's the kind of dad that he is. That's what I love about being a parent. My kids have no discernment. They talk about everything. And we will start to find it's really about a relationship and he's with us and he wants to talk to us. And there are no things that are big, major, important. I care about those and other things that I don't. As we start maybe the art and the practice of praying our worries and praying our whining. I don't know if you would consider starting there and find yourself praying more constantly. Um, and pray simply. Pray simply. Um, man, I grew up in the church, and you know one of the uh, primary reasons I did not like prayer meetings um, growing up, there were a number of them, but one of the primary reasons I didn't like prayer meetings was um, the pressure. It was too much, man. I couldn't handle uh, the pressure of prayer meetings, because I would go to prayer meetings, and it always felt like it was all the theologically fancy people having a pray-off. And I'm like, I don't know how to play. I don't know this. This is intimidating to me. It's daunting. It's overwhelming to me. Who can wax the most eloquently? And I just couldn't keep up with that. Um, and it was, it was so strange, too. Um, if you've ever gone, you, you, you may relate to this. Some of you are like, I have no idea what this is. But I would get there, and I would notice, like, all of a sudden, people had, like, a prayer voice. I'm like, you didn't sound like that when we talked five minutes ago. Where did that come from? And all of a sudden, there's a British accent involved. I'm like, what? Come on. Come on, I don't know how to do the British accent, you know, and, and all of that. But it got really weird. And then it would just be super, like, I don't know what you're saying. Oh, thou omniscient God, omnipotent of the Calvinists and the Charismatics and the post-millennials. You know, I'm like, I do not know what you mean. Thou supercalifragilistic Lord. I'm like, um, I'm out. I don't know this. With liberty and justice for all. Amen. I'm like, we're in Zambia. What do you mean? None of this makes sense. None of this makes sense. And so I felt so prayer incompetent. And I started to feel that in the rest of my life. Like, I clearly don't know how to pray. And you hear people say this, I wish I could pray like brother. And if somebody starts a sentence with, I wish I could pray like brother such and such, a dude who has to be called brother such and such, you know that's already a problem. Right? But that's it. Like, I wish I could pray like them. Why? Oh, the accent, it's so like Spurgeon. But you are from Louisiana. You're not Spurgeon, right? But I started to feel in the rest of my life like, I just don't know how to pray. I don't pray like them. And because I don't pray like them, surely God is paying less attention to me. And then every now and then you'd get that amateur, that new believer who didn't grow up in the church, and they'll just pray like they talk. Hey, what's up? Well, I guess you're up. Ha, 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 ha. God, um, hey, um, help my grandpa with uh, the gas. It's really bad. And uh, help me not to be weird around cute girls. And uh, okay, talk soon. Bye-bye. And everybody in the room is just like, oh, just trying not to laugh mockingly at this person, you know, and they're whispering to themselves like, oh, bless his heart. 
bless his heart. And God's in heaven saying, you better believe I'm going to bless his heart. Because did you know that God actually loves simplicity in prayer? He actually loves it when we pray in our own voice, in our own vocabulary, when we talk to him. Look at what Jesus says. This is Jesus. It sounds so unspiritual. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. It says, and when you pray, <laughs> this is so mean, Jesus, don't keep on babbling like pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many or because of their fancy words. That's not why God listens to you. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's amazing how many more of us, I think, would pray and how much more we might experience the Father's closeness and the Spirit's power by just simplifying Him and talking to Him like a dad in our own voice, with our own vocabulary, in the most simplistic ways. Another reason that some of us don't pray is like, I just don't have that much time. Because people will show up and say, I just, I prayed for two hours every morning. I'm like, that's awesome. But that's not necessarily some mandate standard that everybody is supposed to keep up with. And yet there will be times when you'll be in the presence of the Lord and you're like, I'm not leaving this place. His presence is life to me. But I wonder how much more we would pray when we realize he's a dad who loves to listen to us pray. He's not a speech or debate judge. He's not an editor. He's a dad who's listening to us talk. And even before the words form, he's, he's leaning over to hear what we're going to say to him in the voices of the kids that he rescued to be a part of his family. When my kids talk to me, they talk to me in their own voices and with their own vocabulary. In fact, if my kids started to talk to me like with a southern draw, or if they started to talk to me like with super complicated words, father. We approach you now to discuss the matter of, I'm like, what did you break and how much is it going to cost me? Like, now I'm nervous. I'm suspicious. Why are you talking to me weird? That's not how you talk. Right? Or if my kids just start to talk to me and they go on and on and on about something, like, and then, okay, it was like, oh, man, how should I say this? If we, um, there's a part of me that says, can you tell me what you want? Are you afraid of me? Just simply tell me, right? And that's the posture of a dad who loves simplicity in prayer. Now, obviously, the more we know this book, the more we know what he's like, and the more we know what he likes, it, and it influences the way we talk to him, but still it's in our voice and with our vocabulary and with simplicity that our dad wants to hear from us. Some of you are amateur prayers. You don't know what to say. Say things the way you say things, and he loves it. And I wonder if that wouldn't shift some of our prayer for some of us. Um, and then pray, pray confidently. Pray confidently. Um, one of the reasons I won't pray, and I've, I've shared this a number of times, is guilt. Um, I know I mess up. I know I've messed up again, and the guilt keeps me away. I've messed up, and I don't know many relationships where I mess up, and somebody isn't mad at me and isn't talking to me. And so I just superimpose that on my father. I messed up, which must mean you're mad at me, and you don't want to talk to me, and you don't want me to be near you. And so again, I'm going to keep my distance and, and let things cool off, and then maybe. And that's why I love getting back um, and often to this powerful passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Where the writer says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, that's us if we're followers of Jesus, since we have confidence, we have boldness to enter the most holy place. That's where our Father sits. That's where our Father lives. Um, by the blood of Jesus, I love that by a new and living way that's been opened, not by our behavior, but it's been opened through the curtain that is his broken body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus too, let us 
draw near to God. Let's show up to our Father with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. That's confidence. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I love that. Our confidence to talk to our Father is not based on our behavior. It's based on the blood of Jesus and His broken body. It's not based on the fact that we've kept some perfect track record to this point in the last 24 or 36 hours. It's based on the fact that He ripped the curtain and now there's an all-access pass given to us. Come anytime, planned or unplanned, announced or unannounced, and your Father wants to hear from you. And it says that should stir in you a boldness that constantly rushes in. For some of us, it's our behavior that's kept us out of His presence as we look so much on what we've done and we lose sight of what Jesus has done, which is the merit that gives us access into the presence of God. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how far you've gone, how long you've been gone. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the door is open because of what Jesus did. That should stir in us a boldness. That should stir in us a desire to keep going back over and over and over. And for some of us, I wonder if this isn't just about a renewed commitment to keep our planned time with our Father in the morning, even when we've messed up the night before. What an amazing statement when we show up feeling messed up. That it's not because of my mess or non-mess, it's because of Jesus. And so here I come, literally, it's why we pray in the name of Jesus. I don't pray in the name of my behavior. I don't pray in the name of how well my kids are doing. I don't pray in the name of my health. You know, I don't pray in the name of my marital health. I pray in the name of Jesus and His finished work. And for some of us, it's just a renewed commitment. I'm going to keep my appointment with you, God, even when everything in me feels like you're mad and you don't want to see me. I'm going to learn what it looks like to gaze on Jesus and come confidently. And what a people of prayer we would find ourselves if we stopped living in guilt and tiptoeing and coming with trepidation like we're a nuisance to God or we're an interruption to Him. No, He loves to see us. Why else would He have His Son come and die to rip a curtain and give us access to Him? That's how much he wants you to come. That's a lot of work to do for someone who considers us a nuisance. I want to learn to pray more like my kids. Um, and I want to learn to pray more like my kids talk to me. Because it's amazing how often I have to actually tell my kids, like, I'm sorry, I'm not God. You are actually interrupting me. Like, you go into the presence of God anytime. He's like, I'm glad to see you. You were never an interruption. I'm like, no, not me. You're actually interrupting us. We're having a conversation. Go away. <laughs> and then they'll literally do like a circle and come back. I'm like, do you not understand? You are literally interrupting us again. Like, oh, yeah, but this is a different thing. It's different thing, same person, same situation. And my kids just don't care, and I wish I was more like that. Like, I'm sorry, God, I might be interrupting. It's like you're actually never interrupting. Just keep coming in. Keep coming in. Until you realize the curtain torn means I'm always with you, and you can always talk to me. Uh, pray audibly. Pray audibly. Um, one great help, I think, for us to... To, to grow in praying um, as a pattern of life is to learn the art of praying out loud, even if it's just a whisper forming words with our lips. Men and women of Scripture were notorious for practicing the art of audibly praying, and part of that was cultural, but a lot of it was just because it, it brings so much focus to prayer. Um, I don't know about you, um, but uh, I, man, it is amazing how I've tried to pray in my mind, and I still often do. And uh, I will start praying. Maybe this has happened for you. You start to pray one thing, and before you know it, you're like on a beach in Hawaii. And you're like, how did I get here? Right? Like, how did I arrive here? Lord, I just want to pray for my grandfather and um, his health as he's getting up there in age. And huh, you know, I wonder why people of that stage tend to move to Florida. 
When I get to that stage, I'd probably want to live in Hawaii. Hawaii sounds really cool. Speaking of which, ooh, I'd love to get married. And when I get married, I'd love to honeymoon in Hawaii and just hang out on the beach. And the next thing you know, you're on a beach in Hawaii, right? I mean, you started praying for grandpa, and then you're on a beach in Hawaii. Why? Because when I pray in my mind, I am sending my prayer into our thought world that is loud and there's so much traffic. One thought is going this way. One thought is going that way. One thought is going this way. And before I know it, my thought is hijacked by another thought. And then, you know, it jumps a train to, you know, to line six and then it jumps off and it's heading down a different direction. And before I know it, I've lost all sense of concentration. I've lost all sense of focus and I have fallen asleep on Jesus. Come on, somebody, right? The reason to pray out loud is because it is really difficult for my thoughts to interrupt my conversation when I'm talking, um, when I'm verbally speaking out loud to God. It brings the conversation into an incredible focus, which again is the reason we are blessed with so many prayers in the Scriptures, because men and women prayed out loud and were able to capture those prayers. Now, let me just say also, um, this is not like a rule, but it's, it's a helpful practice. And please let me also say, there are always going to be times when it's better to pray silently in your head. Oh God, I pray for my co-workers. They are so incompetent. I'm always carrying them in the middle of a meeting. That's not what you want to do. You might want to take that thought offline and pray it in your, in your mind. Um, but as a pattern, what an incredible thing to start to put into practice. And then lastly, pray expectantly. Um, if we're going to be people of prayer, we've got to be people who learn to pray with expectation. We've got to be people who are not like me. I pray sometimes and it feels like my words are hitting the ceiling and they're coming back. And I pray and then just leave it and then go away. And really, if you ask me, do not expect that God is going to answer. We've got to pray expectantly. And if we're going to do that, it means we are growing to believe that God hears. There's never been a single prayer you have ever uttered, church, I promise you, that God has not heard. He hears it. It says before the words even formed, he's leaning over. I, I picture God, every time you pray, he just is shushing the angels. Shh. Quiet, please. My kid is talking to me. Now, thankfully, God can do multiple things at the same time, but he is dialing in. There's never a time, whether you whispered a prayer or just said a short one or you carved out time and were in that space with him, that God is not listening. He always hears. I don't know what the people in your life are like in terms of hearing you or listening well, but God always hears. The psalmist says, Psalm 55, verse 17, evening and morning and noon, I cry out in distress, and he, God, hears my voice. I love that again. You're going to notice the pattern of voice, which means he's speaking out loud. Psalm 139, verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, here it is. You, Lord, again, know it completely. God always hears when we speak, um, no matter what. Um, but he not only hears, God also answers our prayers um, Psalm 5, verse 3. I love what the psalmist says. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and then I wait expectantly. Ask, it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is talking about prayer. You got to ask and keep asking. And if you ask and keep asking, it will be given to you. And if you knock and keep knocking, and he's talking about God will always answer you if you continue to pray with expectation. It is amazing how often I'll ask God about something and then I'll move on. It's like I don't really expect him to answer. There's a story um, in the book of, of Daniel about, man, Daniel is praying to God and he asks God for something that he's longing for. And the story goes, the minute he prays, God dispatches an angel with the answer to take it to Daniel. And then 21 days later, the angel finally shows up and tells Daniel, oh man, when you prayed, God heard you and sent an answer, but there's been spiritual war happening. I've been fighting with other dark angels, and it took me a while to get this answer to you. 
And that is such a powerful story because I wonder if Daniel had said, well, I prayed and I didn't hear anything, so I prayed again the second day and I didn't hear anything, so I was done with it and I moved on. And the angel shows up, and again, this is picturesque, but the angel shows up with the answer, the delivery from the throne room of God, and Daniel's moved on. I'm not expecting anything. I'm not waiting for anything. I've moved right on. And what Jesus would say is, no, you keep asking. You knock and you keep knocking, and you, you seek and you keep seeking. There's this prayerfulness that believes God will, he always answers. You've never prayed a prayer that God has not answered. What misses is our expectancy. That posture that says, and I'm going to wait, God, and continue to pray until you answer because I know you will. That's praying with expectation. Something will shift in our world. Something, I believe, will shift in our churches as the expectancy of our prayerfulness starts to, to grow. Um, and one of the ways to start the practice of praying expectantly is to make and keep a list. That's a great way. I don't know if you're a journaler. Um, but a great way to do this is to keep a list of the things you're praying for. That's your way of saying to God, and I'm tracking, and I'm keeping track, and I'm still waiting on this, God, and I'm still praying for this, and I'm still holding on to this. Uh, somebody introduced me to something recently, which I downloaded, and it is awesome. It's this app called Echo Prayer. Has anyone heard of it or used it? Oh, it's amazing. It's literally this app that I can put in a prayer request, and then it'll ask me, hey, how often do you want me to remind you to pray for this thing? Every day? Every two days? Every week? Once a year? And then it even has something that says waiting, uh, God has, it's been answered. So you can actually check off. Can you imagine what will start to happen to our faith and our expectation as we start to keep track of the things we're praying for and see how many green checks are down the line of our prayer requests that God actually shows up? That's going to inspire us and instill in us a confidence to pray more and more and more. And I also love this app, by the way, because if you come to me and you share something with me, I need prayer for this. I don't just tell you, I'll pray for you. I can actually put it down somewhere and say, hey, remind me once a week or remind me once a year, depending on how much I like you. But the point is, that thing is going to remind me, and then I'll be stirred to pray, and then I'll be able to see where the Lord is answering. Some of the reasons we don't pray expectantly is we pray and we forget, and there are ways to, to remedy that. I wonder what that would look like for us. Team, by the way, you guys can come on, um, come on out. Um, if we're going to walk by the Spirit... It's not going to be this massive leap. It's going to be the everyday thing. What's your plan for prayer? It's going to be like, are you willing to talk to him in the traffic about the simple things that are going on in your day? Are you praying with a level of expectation? And watch him blow your mind, by the way. Um, I'm even curious to know, as some of you have taken the seven-day challenge we gave last week to just pray on a daily basis, what things you've started to see. I know I've started to see things in my own life just in a seven-day period, and I missed a day, maybe two. But we believe the Lord wants to stir in his church a prayerfulness. That introduces us to his spirit, and we'll find ourselves walking with him. But it starts as we take daily steps in prayer. Um, even as we close, I wonder for some of us, this morning really isn't as simple as just a renewed determination and a declaration and a marking of the moment that says, I am going to re-engage prayer. And maybe for some of you, it's saying for the first time, prayer is going to become a planned pattern in my life. Or you have no idea what lies ahead if that's you. Um, maybe for some of you, you've been gone for a while and you've said, I felt so guilty because of things I've done. And maybe for you, this is just a come on back. Jesus has paid the price. Land on him, lean on him, and re-engage a father who's been waiting. I don't know what this morning is about for you, but as always, would love for you to take a moment to respond and say yes to whatever the Spirit might be stirring before you walk out of this room. Because you know, once you walk out of there, you're going to end up on a beach in Hawaii. Kids are like, hey, mom, what are we having for lunch? Dad, whoa, you're fighting. And before you know it, what he may be speaking to you in this moment is lost. That's why we want to create this space where you can say, I want to mark this moment before I move out. 
And so I'll invite us to stand. And even as we do, those of you leaders, small group leaders, um, elders, if you're in the room, please come on up front. If you want to mark the moment with someone, if you're heavy to pray to the Lord about something and you want someone to agree with you to mark that moment, I'd encourage you to come on up and let somebody pray with you. So even as we stand, if there are leaders in the room, um, whether it's our staff or our small group leaders or elders, come on up so folks can um, see you and come on up and pray with you. And as always, if you need to sneak out and go grab your kids, we have family here. Please feel free to do that, marking the moments even as you take the steps um, out. So Father, thanks for inviting us into this adventure called prayer. Help us to be marked by it and find ourselves knowing and loving you more and walking in your spirit more. It's in his name, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.